Hello, this is Fantastic Noise, and in this episode we are really focusing on making a fantastic noise. We're going to hear from sound designer Sarah Miles about the art of making beautiful audio. I'm Terry Lee. Thanks for your time and thanks for your ears. When I was coming up with a name for this podcast series, I wanted something that could describe everything audio, radio and podcast were supposed to be. So for me, that could include the clarity of a studio voiceover, the crazy panning of a John Lennon-inspired psychedelic Beatles track, the sound of footsteps crunching on a stony path. Sound design is perhaps the art of bringing audio to life and is the theme of this podcast. Creating a piece of audio, which is primarily about editing audio, was always something I was a little afraid of doing, but over a dozen episodes in, I think we're ready to have a go. And to assist me in the studio, I'm joined by a music technology graduate from the University of Bedfordshire, Daniel Potter. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Terry. Thank you for being here. Daniel, I I want to give full disclosure to listeners. This summer, I've been lucky enough to have you uh, spend some of your time and expertise uh, on working on a number of projects, including the remixing of the Fantastic Noise theme tune. I love it. Uh, How long have you been making music, Daniel? It's roughly around 10 years uh, when I began college, uh, when I was about 18. And what's your what's what sort of things do you do when you're making music? How do you make music? Have you got instruments that you specialise in? Um, I'm mainly a keyboardist. I've uh, been playing keyboard for roughly the same time. I started playing it now and again in school. Um, I started taking it more seriously in college when I started uh, my first band. But yeah, since then I've started taking music more seriously and uh, started composing my own music and it's just kind of snowballed from there. Well, I think you're uniquely qualified to talk to us in uh, this episode today because coming up in today's Fantastic Noise, we're going to hear from sound designer Sarah Miles. She's giving us loads of tips and tricks and a rave review of spectral frequency display audio editing. Uh, stay with us. You'll want to hit your audio editing software after listening to this. Later, as ever, we shall be analysing some radio jargon with the radio word of the week. But first... Listen to the song Here in My Heart, a melody I start but can't complete. Not my words, Daniel, but the words of Beyonce from her 2007 track titled Listen. All right. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been enjoying listening to recently, Daniel? I guess most of my listening would be on Spotify. Is is this because you're more of a a music man than a a radio man, would you say? Yeah, more of a music man. I mean, in fact, I I spend more time making music than listening to music. But when you are listening to music, what are you listening to? Like, like what sort of music is is your thing? Wildly varies. I mean, uh, I guess at heart, I'm kind of a metalhead, I suppose. Uh But then growing up in the 90s, uh, I've got my dad's influences, which are like, um, let's see, Depeche Mode, I suppose. Oh, wow. Okay. So when you're playing keyboard, is that has that generally been with metal bands or, or heavier sounding music? Yeah, generally metal bands, uh, the occasional rock band as well. Yeah. In another podcast series about music, we could talk about the evolution of how keyboards have infiltrated metal and, and heavier stuff in a definitely. way that defi- definitely didn't happen before. Interesting. How do you use Spotify? Do you make playlists? Do you listen to albums? 
Um, well, the last time I made a playlist was for my wedding. Um, <laughs> nice. And on what for the for people to listen to in like the reception or something? Yeah. Um, other than that, I just browse for anything that kind of fits my general interest at the time. Like uh, a few months ago, I started looking for Viking style music, and I ended up finding a band that I ended up uh, seeing live. So uh, that's a good way to find bands that you potentially really enjoy. And and I guess again, when you consider not so long ago before. Uh, the internet was so prevalent before Spotify was a thing. It was a lot harder to find new music like that, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, some, that's something which has changed significantly. I always like to share something I'm listening to as well, Daniel. And this week I'm going to rave about George the Poet's award-winning podcast series called "Have You Heard George's Podcast?" Uh, George is a London-born spoken word performer of Ugandan heritage. His musical poetry is prevalent throughout the podcast series and the sound art, music and storytelling make this a fantastic example of what can be done in the podcast genre. As someone that grew up in South East London in the late 90s and early noughties, I also appreciate some of George's musical focuses, especially in an episode where he focuses on the Morphe crew and their track Oi which I've always enjoyed, much to the surprise of many who know me. Uh, Daniel, have you heard any of George the Poet's podcast? Yeah, I did listen to a bit of it, and I was actually really impressed. It's kind of a fits with what I've wanted to do myself uh, a while back. Uh, it's kind of a great mix of uh, spoken words, music, uh, sound effects. I really like the way it kind of creates a mental picture without having to see anything. Mm. And, and yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly how I, I describe it in terms of the theatre of the mind is exactly. what often they describe audio as. I really good. love that kind of thing. Yeah, and so you'd actually like to make something like that yourself, you said? Absolutely. Okay, well, um, go for it, is, is the advice. What What's stopping you? Well, I guess this guy's inspired me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. we'll look out for, for Daniel the Daniel the Potter's podcast uh, <laughs> in, in, the, in the near future. If you're listening to this and you're keen to tell us about something you've been enjoying listening to, please do. I'd love to include what you've been listening to in a future podcast. The email address is fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk. So back to the focus of this episode, sound design. I spoke with Sarah Miles. I'm a podcast producer, a broadcast journalist, an audio editor, and I'm also a sound designer. She also regularly puts on events to support people who are looking to make podcasts. I run workshops called Rise and Shine. She was kind enough to give me half an hour of her time while she was working in her office, an old church building with a unique ambiance. You can hear bells going off while you're trying to edit, and there's also the theatre company, so every so often they might be doing a workshop or something, and you hear kids and like clown noises kind of just wafting down the hall it's it's unique <laughs> i started by asking sarah to describe what the role of sound designer meant to her i mean it can mean a lot of different things and it, i guess it really depends on the client that you're working with it could be something as simple as creating a sting or well creating a sting isn't actually that simple as you will find if you ever tried to do it or it could be doing wall-to-wall audio for a 30-minute podcast. Um, so really, it could do anything from going out and find sourcing your own sound effects, recording them, editing them, finding stuff online, finding music that will match the, the tone and the pace of a podcast or a piece of radio. Um, so it really is just kind of... It's the use of sound to sort of illustrate 
the audio that you kind of already have like a monologue or an interview with with sound design how would you i guess separate it from general audio editing like the 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 key differences i think really audio editing to me and again this kind of varies client to client um audio editing is more the voice and the words that are used so if you think of it like a magazine sound design is the illustrations that accompany the writing um so like sound design would be used sometimes to like lift something or tell a story that maybe you don't necessarily need words to tell whereas with just straight up audio editing it's kind of more focused on the copy on what people are saying on how well an interview flows you mentioned stings earlier and and i guess it'd probably be helpful for some people if you described what a sting was uh so a sting is basically it's a piece of audio punctuation so if you were finishing a piece and then jump into another thing you use a sting to separate them or if you've recorded an interview and there is no kind of place to to patch it up to make it all flow you could also put in a sting a lot of radio stations use them like to demonstrate like this is the end of an ad break or this is the end of a song or just to kind of give the station sound so they can be used like that in podcasts they're used less frequently but they are quite handy to have or sometimes it could be to transition you know you're going from a monologue to an illustrator package or an interview now or a clip of something different so to signal to the listener that we're now moving to a different thing okay and and so when when you are asked to make stings <laughs> Sarah so <laughs> how how you, you said it was tricky and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to ask a couple of questions about it so so how do you even start does do you have I guess does it have to be based on a theme tune or something like that I I wouldn't know necessarily how you would go about designing something like that I mean, that's a very good question, and I wish I really knew a straightforward answer to that. Um, It depends. I mean, a lot of radio stations, what they want their stings to sound like is the music that they play. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. Sometimes I've just been told to make something that sounds like a place, which is really, really confusing. So it is a case of just really, really kind of thinking quite creatively about it on what you could use that isn't too intrusive but is also like signaling something to the listener I mean you could really use anything you could use a rubber band snapping and then some opening up at like a, a bottle of Fanta or something and that's that kind of sort of sound that a lot of stings are but like you could really really just use anything but it's a case of having a bit that goes up and then a bit that kind of fizzles out like that I mean, it is quite a difficult one to explain because it does depend on what it is. There's sometimes I've used things that are a bit of the theme tune. I'd get stems. So stems are kind of like one stem would be the guitar track, one stem would be the drums, one stem would be the bass. And I'd break them down and I'd use them to make a sting. There's sometimes I've just used a bit of atmosphere and put a kind of like an unusual sound to create a sting so it really it depends on the piece and the only way that you're really going to get used to it and a lot of it's just from doing it and doing it over and over again um and it's something that I'd recommend people as daft as it sounds like something like 
creating a three second sting is actually like incredibly difficult to do so if you could practice doing that even if you just think of a podcast that you like or a radio station that you like and design your own sting for it what would you do differently or even try to recreate theirs just so you can get a hand on the sort of technical aspect of it and the layering of it because sometimes it sounds quite simple but it's actually four or five things layered on top of each other and just to see is there like a pattern is there a way and what do you find comfortable sort of making and how do you like how certain things are layered and what stings do you like and why a technical question then um, because there might be people listening that thinking yeah I'd like to do that what 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 could they use to do that in terms of like software or equipment what what might be a good starter kit if you like to do such a thing well I use Adobe Edition which it might not be for everyone it costs 30 quid a month and I'm quite lucky because I can expense it to the company that I work for um, but you can get free soft, you can get free editing software as well. A lot of people I know in the industry use Reaper. It's not necessarily free, but if you want to continue the free trial, it's not going to stop you doing that. If you need another week to evaluate, I've worked in professional production companies who, I mean, they probably shouldn't have been doing this. They definitely shouldn't have been doing this. But yeah, <laughs> they've had like. 200 days on the trial um and then there's audacity as well which a lot of people use it's quite nice it's quite i mean i've used both of these before in the past the only reason that i use audition is because i use it so much and i'm quite used to it um but i'm sure there's lots of other ones as well if you google but reaper and audacity are the main two and i think reaper would be the main one out of them too and and in terms of you know, you're talking about stems and, and, and editing those things. I guess you would need some original broken down bits of audio. You would need some drums on one track and, you know, guitar mm-hmm. on another track. And if you, but if you have that, then you can be creative with it. And that's, that's what you're suggesting, I think. There's lots of different great websites that do basically like stock photos, but for audio. And you can get, there's some really high-end ones. Um, there's one called Audio Network. And they, I mean, a lot of the Channel 4 documentaries that you hear, a lot of the stuff on Channel 4, for some reason, is Audio Network. And the only reason that I know that is because I've worked with Audio Network for so long that I actually can't watch Channel 4 because I it, like, I just watch it and I'm like, oh, it's, it, it's that song that I've used for this other piece. But then there's premiumbeats.com, or I think it's Premium Beat. If you Google it, it does relatively low cost you can get the music I think it's 60 quid and then you get the track you get different versions of it and then you get the stems as well that you can download and then there's another one called Epidemic Sound if you google them all there's I mean there's loads of different audio libraries but the cheapest one that I found is Premium Beats and I've used that for a lot of quite high budget podcasts for quite high profile clients and it's it sounded fine so I would recommend that one um another thing that you can do and you don't necessarily get the stems but if you want if you have absolutely no budget um what you'd need to look for is a creative commons zero license there's different types of creative commons licenses but a creative commons zero license on freesound.org.uk 
and it has sound effects it has some music and it has things like that and then there's another website called free music archive and you can use it has different tracks as well you can download different albums and it has different sort of licensing and be careful with what music that you use whether you need to credit the artist whether you need to pay them something or again as i said if it's a creative Commons zero license and if you've no budget that's the one that you want to be looking for or something where you could just credit the artist yeah they've got that on there as well this is yeah this is really interesting because i i guess i'm i'm used to working with students who who generally uh, understandably will try and do things without having to spend any money but i guess there's a real benefit to spending a little bit of money on on some tracks which then you know you're creating audio which you can publish you know if you wanted to make a podcast for example you can publish it as a podcast you're not going to get into any trouble and you'll have all these stems you can be creative with it and really explore i mean is that something you did before you were doing this professionally (laughs) or did you have to become a professional in order to to spend the money I'm, i'm curious I didn't actually start off doing sound design. So sound design is something that I kind of fell into from doing production. So I was a producer first and a content producer. And then I got into editing. And then people start giving me packages to edit. And I just kind of fell in love with sound design. So I guess I'm lucky like that in that the company that I did a lot of the sound design for had a subscription to Audio Network. And they had like, quite good budget for things and there were also a radio station so the licensing was kind of a bit different you can definitely do it before you get into it professionally and I know a lot of people do and sometimes I just do it now just to have a bit of fun and like make something a bit weird or just explore one thing that I always do is I would like listen if I want to make a package that sounds really happy I'd listen to a piece of music that sounds really happy and I think about how it's broken down and what sound effects are used over different layers of the track just kind of go from there and experiment and see what works and what doesn't because it is it's such a huge thing and some of the things that I make they don't necessarily work for some clients and I totally understand that and some things that some clients really really love my style so it is it's something that you can just kind of, once you get into it, it's such a huge world and it is something that is just so much fun to do. And yeah, you just, you just once you start doing it, you're constantly thinking about it and you listen to music in a different way and you listen to audio in a different way and you hear things differently. Even, you know, if you're walking down the street, you pay more attention to kind of what sort of sounds are used to build up something. Because even if, Joe, I'm sitting here now and you think it's quite a quiet room but I can hear the birds outside I can hear people walking down the corridor there's like all these different things that layer up and make that atmosphere so you become more aware of things like that so Daniel there Sarah spoke about a number of things and some things pertinent to some of the work you've been doing for me and the theme tune for this podcast were you familiar with the term sting before I asked you to make one yeah um it exists in uh I don't know, other sorts uh, forms of media, I, I suppose. I don't know if they're called the same thing, but particularly in video games, I'm quite interested in. Uh, I guess they're used to like signify the beginning and end of events or transitions between things. So yeah, it's pretty useful in every respect. 
Yeah, and and what what fascinates me is is having spoken to Sarah and having worked with you over the summer, some of the conversation that we've been having about stems and 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 that terminology to do with like the different instrumental sections and mm. layering up things, and how Sarah does that in her work as a a sound designer as well. Was sound design something that you'd ever contemplated before as a thing you'd like to do? I don't know. Um, I've never been, really been sure what the term sound design means because I've always assumed it's more focused on using sound effects uh, as opposed to me kind of defining myself as more of a music composer. I guess um, from what she was saying before, uh, she sometimes uses uh, pre-created uh, stems of music from web- um, websites. Yeah, I guess that's kind of like ma- manipulating uh, sound that already exists, whereas I tend to create stuff on the bare bones. Mm. So I guess there's different approaches to doing things. Yes, if, if not a sound designer, you could be the person that she's uh, buying the music off of. Exactly, we've all our own role. And, and in fact, that was one of the, the really interesting bits about the conversation. Some really top tips for, for music, for production. So she was talking about websites like Audio Network, Premium Beats, Epidemic Sounds. I mean, worth Googling all of those. And, and as someone that makes music tracks, then maybe that's a, a line of work for you in the future, Daniel. I don't know if it's something you've yeah, considered. Yeah, learn something new every day. Yeah. Uh, she also talked about Creative Commons Zero licenses. Is that something that you're, like, you, you were familiar with, the whole Creative Commons thing? I'm aware of Creative Commons. I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head which e- what each category is. Sure. No, it's it's a minefield. I mean, I've, I've only ever really had to touch upon it. I have colleagues here who are, are much more of a, an expert than I am in, in what the Creative Commons licenses mean and, and how to, to best utilise that stuff and being able to use free things, um, crediting the artists and things like that. But yeah, I, I, it's well worth Googling Creative Commons. If you're someone that creates stuff and you want to put certain work, uh, make it available for other people to use for free and you want other people to, to pay for things, I guess there's, there's a lot of researching to be done with that. What audio editing software do you use, Daniel? Um, mainly one called Logic Pro X. Mm. Um, I've uh, been using that one since I started uh, college. Uh, back then it was Logic Pro 8. It's... Uh, Basically, one of the best uh, DAWs or DAWs, as they sometimes call them, that exist on the Mac. There's also, you know, the Windows version that's usually used called Cubase, but they do practically the same thing. That goes to show your music background rather than the radio background. She talks about using Adobe Audition, but also Reaper being like one of the industry standard editing softwares. And I know we've we've had uh, you using Adobe Audition in your time at the university, but you've gone back to what you are most comfortable with Mm. and and I always generally tell students if you're going to make a noise on the radio then if if you're using something which you're comfortable with and and you feel like you can make better radio better audio with then 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 you should so on Sarah's website podcasts.london there are examples of, of some of the work that she's made I enjoyed listening to the creativity of the mix of actuality Music, voiceover, and interviews. Ever once for giving up, they turn their sights to another product. The very first drink ever distilled in the world was butching. Wouldn't that be a nice place to start? And so the story began. We have a little flavour library here, so all of the all of these little things. I listened to a piece that you made for Monocle Twenty Four that you put on your website, which is uh, podcasts.london. Um, it was about a distillery, and and what struck me 
was how you used a combination of music, some some sound effects uh, or, or actuality. You edited your guest's voice in that way where you weren't afraid to move the story along, like uh, fade things down, fade things back up. And and it could have been a straight interview, but it wasn't. It was it was pretty creative. So I wondered how much creative freedom you're, you're generally given when you're you're doing jobs like that. So the best, well, not the best, but one of the best things about doing something like sound design is very, a lot of people think it's very scary and it's not, but you are generally given more creative freedom than any other aspect of audio. With that, they were just like, go for it. Whatever you want to do, go for it. Um, and that's generally the case. Sometimes client wants to, well, always they want to hear something and if it doesn't work for them, they'll be like, we don't like this, but we'd like something like this. One thing that I do do is I'll always ask a client, you know, pick some music that you like. What are some songs in the charts that you think reflect the podcast or the radio that you're making? So then I don't do something that is completely opposite to what they want. But with sound design and with packages like that, I mean, you're really given free reign unless you do something really weird and that couldn't be broadcast. Or, I mean, like doing something really weird is actually fine. So, something really that just sounds terrible and can't be broadcast and like that's a different thing. But people do give you more freedom with it because people just don't understand it. Um, and they're kind of afraid of how things work. And I mean, it's a real shame because audio was such a like great, fun, creative thing. And I wish more people could get into it and wouldn't be afraid of the terminology or the way like audio software looks or the way equipment has a lot of buttons on it because it really can be quite simple and nobody knows what all those buttons and all that software is anyway. Like most people just know the very basic workings of it. Well, I was um, going to say on 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 the theme of on that very theme of of things looking complicated, uh, Sarah. I, I read on on your Twitter feed various uh, pieces of advice for, for budding radio and audio specialists. I recommend our listeners check that out. It's um at tweet Sarah Miles is your Twitter. One thing that jumped out at me reading some of your your Twitter activity was your recommendation on learning to edit audio using spectral frequency display in Adobe Audition. Now. For, for those who have dabbled in Audition, this is the display that looks a little bit like a fiery rainbow has taken over the screen, and, and it's the most common screen that I look at when a student's called me over because they think they've broken the software or something. It's, uh, <laughs> I've, only, I've only ever used it to remove some weird background noise. That was a while back, if I'm honest. So, so it's, I think it's a unique skill you've got there because not everyone uses it. And why do you think it's useful to learn this? Oh, wow. Um, It's so good. I'm smiling. Like, I can't believe I smile so much when people talk about this type of editing. I'm quite an audio geek. I don't smile like this whenever I talk about my family. But I'm looking at it right now. So it's quite... It's really good because you can see things that you can see in a waveform. So you can see where breaths are, when breaths start and finish, that might not pick up on the waveform you can also see if someone's phone rings you can see like you were saying when you take out weird noises you can see where that is and you're able to take it out another thing that's like really it's really really useful for is sometimes people listen to audio and there'd be a bit and it sounds weird but they can't quite put their finger on why it sounds weird because they can't hear anything 
And the reason why they can't hear anything is because there is a complete absence of sound. So it's not just room noise. It's not just a bit of like background noise. It's complete absence of sound, which is incredibly unnatural. So like you can see that with spectral editing and take it out. You can identify where certain problems are. You can join up words. So you can join up S's. You can join up sounds really, really easily, really, really beautifully. I use it all the time and it just makes my life so much easier. It is quite scary looking um, and it took me ages to get into it, but there's lots of videos online. Uh, Another thing that it's really good for is if you interview someone over the phone or over Skype, you can see where that is compared to a studio interview. The phone interview looks different basically. So it's really easy to jump from question to question in that. I would really, really recommend it. If you can learn it, there's loads of really good YouTube channels, just get on one of them and get it up on Audition. I think you can use it with Reaper. I'm not so sure if you can use it with Audacity, but yeah, just have a go and take things out of things and you, yeah you can just make the, you can make it just sound so much more smoother and polished and it's easier to cut things what was it using youtube channels when you first learned to use this display or, or or did somebody else show you once upon a time i'm intrigued as to 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 what made you have a go in the first place so whenever i really got into editing audio and sound design i used to work overnight and i was just by myself um one of the things because Like I was saying, when people talk about editing, a lot of people use scary terminology and lingo and they talk about things. And I think I kind of had a bit of imposter syndrome almost. So I would just Google things and look things up on YouTube before someone could figure out that I didn't know what they meant. But little did I know that most people don't know what they mean. I find a lot of it on YouTube, a lot of it Googling, mainly on YouTube because you can just see people editing and it's just so much easier to get through And it's just such a great resource. If something comes up and if something doesn't sound right, you can just type it into Google and you'll find a video on how to correct it. But yeah, that's how I came across spectral editing. And and I hope people listening to this consider having a go because, as you say, there are some real uh, advantages to doing that. Brilliant. Um, Sarah, you're also responsible for setting up Rise and Shine Audio, an organisation that offers audio production training workshops. It's also looking to... Uh, set up workshops to help audio and podcast producers promote their content so so why have you set this up um so this is a really good question i'm probably going to start rambling again so basically i have worked in audio and radio for several years you always meet the same people unfortunately there's like a lot of barriers to entry one of them is money one of them is just like having a space created for some people do you know what I mean um and just it's kind of seen as something that a certain type of person does that's changing a lot there's a lot of great initiatives multi-track if you don't know them already definitely check them out they run fellowships every year and you get paid London living wage and you get paid for training they're really really cool Rise and Shine kind of came at the start of the year when in January, freelance, I was freelance back then. And in January, freelancers don't get a lot of work. And I just didn't have a lot of time, but I also didn't have a lot of money because it was January. So I couldn't do anything fun with all the free time that I had. So, and I'm not saying this wasn't fun, but I just kind of had this thought, why don't I put out something on Twitter and just say, hey, 
if you want to learn how to do audio I can teach you for free because a lot of these workshops cost hundreds and thousands of pounds it would be nice to get different voices in audio and in radio and in podcasting and then two over 200 people got back to me which was great and amazing but also really shocking because it means that there is such there's so much room for something like rise and shine and there's such a demand for people who want to get audio but into audio but for whatever reason feel like they can't or maybe they're not able to or maybe there's like physical barriers um or just just a lot of different barriers so I kind of set it up I got in contact with King's Place who are an amazing venue they're fully accessible and they give me a free room once a month to get together a workshop um and it's just been it's been great ever since and it's just amazing because I've met so many people and I've gotten to learn so much myself because obviously we cover topics that I've never done before I wouldn't have a strong knowledge of and I'd have an excuse to get in someone really an expert in the field and learn from them so yeah it's it's worked out for everyone and hopefully it will just continue so where can people find out more about rise and shine audio where's the information going to be for that so they can find it on Twitter. It's at Rise Shine Audio or the website is riseandshineaudio.com or you'll find it. I always tweet stuff about it. If you follow me at Tweet Sarah Miles or if you just type in Rise and Shine free audio production, it's bound to come up. The, the people, the sorts of people that you get turning up to those events, like would, uh, would students of a university um, be the demographic that are welcomed to such things everyone is welcome every single person in the world is welcome um unless you are mean to people yeah, i was gonna say not surely not every <laughs> single person in the world i could think of someone i would oh. want to turn up to one of not my donald workshop. trump or boris johnson <laughs> definitely not <Sarah>. um <laughs> but yes please come down or if you can't make it down just get in contact and get because there's a huge community on Twitter as well for audio producers. Um, it's great and everyone just wants everyone to do their best. We're all very, very friendly and we'll help you out. And if we can help you out, then we'll put you in the direction of someone who can. Fantastic. Sarah, thanks so much for your time. Before you go, um, mm-hmm. I wondered, is there any one radio programme or podcast that you might recommend we all listen to? Okay, well, this is a bit where I'm supposed to say one of mine or one of my friends, um, but because I don't want to pick out any one of my friends, I plug all their work on my Twitter, though, so please check them out. But if we're doing a thing about sound design and you want to learn really interesting stuff about the history of sound design in cartoons, um, and I absolutely love cartoons and I love the sound design in cartoons, there's a really good podcast called 20,000 Hertz, um and they did an episode just all about that and it's fascinating and it teaches you just so much about sound design and it's also quite fun because it's about cartoons so daniel there sarah spoke about many things including spectral frequency display editing have you have you ever used that editing and do you know what it is that we're talking about um vaguely uh when i studied uh, at the university uh, i did stumble across it uh, in the program i'll say it again it's like a fire on your screen and it's a really visual feast of colors 
Yeah, even with someone with a degree, I still don't really fully understand it. Sure. Well, I mean, I I have looked at a few YouTube help videos since just to to look into some of the uh, things you can do, and and it's it's very clever, but ultimately. Hours and hours of YouTube help videos, I think, are required to really master uh, all the the tricks of the trade. But that's the same with any sort of audio editing and 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 the stuff that you do. The more practice you get, the better you you know, more skills you can learn. Yeah. The more employable you might be. She talked about having lots of uh, creative freedom as a sound designer, and uh, not being afraid to to be adventurous. Well, I guess as someone that makes audio. How how important is it to be like adventurous and think outside the box sometimes? It's definitely important. I mean, I've worked with uh, people on projects before, and it's kind of a hard balance, really, because the uh, client needs to be happy with what they're getting in the end, and it's up to you. If they don't know what they want, then you kind of have to get a vague idea. Mm. And sometimes it's backwards and forwards. Yeah, maybe they won't like it the first time, just keep on changing it. Sometimes you have to completely rework the entire thing, so... Yes, it's it's funny how you you work with some people on, on productions and clients, as you say, and they they might have a very clear idea. I want it to sound like X, and then and then you give it to them, and they're like, well, I'm not so sure anymore, and you might have to rework something completely. May sometimes people don't know exactly what's best for them in many ways, and your job as a sound designer probably uh, is is to to be bold and say maybe this would work better and maybe you'll like this better well in some cases people have been completely happy of their first uh, result of giving them so mm. that's always a plus hey that is good that's great news for everyone concerned <laughs> um she talks about her rise and shine audio workshops uh, and and sarah said there's more information on twitter rise shine audio uh, is the thing to search on twitter but and i enjoyed this everyone welcome except for for donald trump and and Boris Johnson. <laughs> so if you're listening and you're looking to attend the Rise and Shine audio workshops, unfortunately, you're not welcome. If anyone would like to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, this podcast can be interactive. Do get in touch, be it with stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback, or something else. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at A Fantastic Noise. So, Daniel, before we go, it is time for our regular radio jargon busting. A radio folk are always obscuring simple things through the use of unfamiliar language, and it's time we made it unpretentious. It's time for the radio word of the week. This time, it's popping. The loud, distorted sound created when a voice is too close to the microphone, words with p and b sounds, can make a booming noise and cause havoc with compressors. The key to avoid popping is speaking a correct distance from the microphone and having a good microphone, uh, like this one. See, it's, it's beautiful. Um, Daniel, <laughs> were you familiar with the term popping? I was not. Um, I'm familiar with the term peaking. Sure. Uh, it's similar, I guess, in a way, uh, just high levels yeah that distorted noise like at a general level when you're peaking making i'll tell you what the number of times in the radio lab studio i have to tell students off for peaking because they've turned their microphone gain so loudly it's sounding distorted <laughs> that is it for this episode of fantastic noise thanks so much for joining us there will be another episode next week do follow us on social media at a fantastic noise for updates and previews Thanks to our guest today, sound designer Sarah Miles.
Miles. Her Twitter account again is Tweet Sarah Miles. That's at Tweet Sarah Miles. Her website, podcasts.london. Special thanks to my co-host, Daniel Potter. Thank you. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin. That's Stu with a double O. Our theme music is by Liam Ayton, remixed by Daniel Potter. Uh, this podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team and recorded in the studios of Radio Lab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee, and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. <laughs> <laughs>